0: I wonder if you might now just uh, open up your Bibles uh, that you will have there with you. Of course, it'll be on the screen for us as well. Uh, Our Bible reading this morning is from Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through to 14. So Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master... Where is the respect you me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. But, you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I'll accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, The Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Well,
1: we're looking at our second talk in Malachi, and if you notice the PowerPoints keep shaking up and down, that's not because we're unsteady with our camera, it's because the wind is blowing the whole building, and therefore the video camera will move from time to time, but uh, we hope you don't get too dizzy through it all and can focus on what we're doing this morning. Second talk in, in Malachi, and I, I remember a book that uh, I read uh, while I was at Sydney Teachers College, or soon after, called The Cost of Commitment by John White. It's quite a confronting book because uh, it speaks about the, the cost of following Jesus, and uh, the suffering that comes with putting Jesus first in your life. And uh, there's a, there's a section of that book that I read from time to time to, to challenge my own faith, to challenge my own commitment, to uh, evaluate how I'm going with God. And it is a, a letter written by a young American communist in Mexico City. And the fellow wrote this letter to break off his engagement with his fiancée. And uh, it's a very powerful letter. Now, John White, in quoting this letter is not endorsing communism, so some of you can relax out there who are a bit worried. But the letter does demonstrate the kind of radical commitment God calls us to if we follow Jesus. And this is what the young communists had to write. He said, we communists suffer many casualties. We are those whom they shoot, hang, lynch, tar and feather, imprison, slander, fire from our jobs and whose lives People make miserable in every way possible. Some of us are killed and imprisoned. We live in poverty. From what we earn, we turn over to the party every cent which we we do not absolutely need to live. Now, we communists have neither time nor money to go to the movies very often, nor for concerts, nor for beautiful homes and new cars. They call us fanatics. We are fanatics, Our lives are dominated by one supreme factor, the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life that money could not buy. We have a cause to fight for, he writes, a specific goal in life. We lose our insignificant identities in the great river of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard, or if our egos seem bruised through subordination to the party, we are amply rewarded in the thought that all of us, even though it would be in a very small way, are contributing something new and better for humanity. There is one thing about which I'm completely in earnest, he writes, the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my meat and drink. I work at it by day and dream of it by night. Its control over me is greater with the passage of time. Therefore, I cannot have a friend, a lover, or even a conversation without relating them to this power that animates and controls my life. He says, I measure people, books, ideas, and deeds according to the way they affect the communist cause and by their attitude to it. I've already been in jail for my ideas, and if need be, I am ready To face death. John White continues, he said, If the letter fails to stir you, you may already have begun to die like a traveler lost in a blizzard, unaware that your body freezes in the snowbank, you're drifting off to sleep. But if your heart beats more quickly, he says, you have hope for a more bracing life than the one most of us live. For Christ did not call you to suburbia and a mortgage but to a gibbet, the gallows, and a crown of glory. He writes, The unknown communist in Mexico City startles us into seeing how trivial our lives are. We may not share his opinions. We might be appalled even at the abandon with which he hurls all that is dear to him into the crushing presses of a political machine. Yet we are glad to see a man who's willing to commit all and even to die for what he believes however wrong he may be. Church, friends, authentic worship of God, true God-exalting worship is giving everything to Jesus with passionate zeal and passionate commitment. When God calls us to come to him, he calls us to hand all of our lives over to him, to put him first, to obey him, to surrender to him, to love him, to serve him, to magnify his name. But often the church of Jesus Christ has sold out to apathy. We are more emotionally involved in our football team than the kingdom kingdom of God. I know it's often the case with me. We find more joy in the latest television reality show than the gospel of Christ. Survivor, bachelor, farmer wants a wife or two, whatever it happens to be. In chapter 1 of Malachi, verse 1 to 5, Malachi reminded the people that the Lord loves them. He has chosen them as his special possession. We looked at this last week. He said, I love you. And they said, how have you loved us? And God spoke through Malachi to say, I chose you for all the peoples of the earth to be your God. And I am for you, not against you. Yet the people didn't believe it. The people didn't trust God. They'd gone their own way. And so much so, it wasn't simply people. The priests, those who had a responsibility to lead people to God, had failed badly. They had dishonored God's name. And so in verses 6 to 14, we begin with God's charge of contempt for his name, contempt for his reputation, contempt for God's honor, contempt for God's fame. He said, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, priest, points the finger, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? See, friends, the priests were giving a lot of lip service to worshipping God. They were bringing animal sacrifices. They were doing seemingly the right things, but they weren't. They refused to worship God properly. They verbally affirmed their faith in God, but did not submit to his rightful authority in any area. They despised, God says, they showed contempt for the name of Yahweh, their God. They were spiritually half-hearted. And in the dramatic conversational style of this book, a protest of innocence is heard from the audience. Who? Us? We did that? We're not guilty of that. When did we do that? See, when God sometimes speaks into your life, we try to make excuses. We try to cover up. God, we're not that bad. Instead of facing the truth, facing the music and changing. It's a bit like students I used to teach at uh, Marrickville High School back in the 1980s. I remember once, uh, kids would often, or not once, multiple times, they'd often say when they were caught up out doing the wrong thing, it wasn't me, sir. It wasn't me, sir. I didn't do it. And I remember one incident, I was on the second floor of our building in my maths classroom, ready to start a class. And then I heard the bell go, ready for the end of lunch. And it must have been a hot day. There were water balloons all over the place, water bombs downstairs. So I looked over the edge and uh, into the playground. And I saw this young guy pick up this water balloon. And he picked it up and he read It's this guy, and he threw it on him, and the guy was covered in water. But I'm standing on the second floor. I can see it all. He has no idea that I can see it. He has no idea that I'm, in some some sense, sovereign over him for that moment. So, when I was young, I sped downstairs, down the stairs, two or three flights of stairs, and I I got him. I found him. I said, sir, come here, young man. What's the matter, sir? I said, I've just seen you take a a water bomb and throw it on this other guy. And what did you think he said? It wasn't me, sir. Not me, sir. Sorry, I wouldn't do that. I said, you did it. And let me explain before you make any more excuses. I said, let me tell you where I was. I said, I was in room 12 on the second floor in the mask room, looking down over the quadrangle where you were. And I saw you run, pick it up and run 20 meters and throw it at him. I saw it all, I said. And you know what he said? You couldn't, couldn't have, sir. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Friends, it didn't matter how much the priest protested, they were guilty of dishonoring God's name. God knew the truth. You couldn't hide it from God. He knows everything so what was the nature of the offence? Well, firstly, unacceptable sacrifices, verse 7 and 8. By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor and see what happens. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Friends, we know that the law of God was very clear in the requirements for sacrifices. To be an acceptable sacrifice, an animal had to be perfect. To offer a diseased animal is no sacrifice at all. Doesn't matter how many of them you bring into the temple. And in breaking this law, the priests of Israel showed contempt or scorn for Yahweh. The local Persian governor would not be pleased. How dare they think that a holy God would be pleased. But secondly, it was all a burden to them. Their heart was not in it, right? And you say in verse 13, what a burden. Can't be bothered. All these sacrifices, all these animals. Here we go, day after day, week after week. It's more of it. You sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. The hypocrisy and irony of making offerings to God that is detestable to him without having your heart in it even. There was once a wife who tried to get her husband up in time for church. Must have been a cold morning. I don't want to go, he says. I might sleep in today. She says, get up. But I don't get on with anyone. She says, get up. But no one will talk to me just get up. But it's pretty boring every Sunday. Just get up, she says. Well, nothing interesting happens. Just get up. God never seems to be there. Nothing changes. Just get up. Maybe I'll go next week. Just get up, his wife says. You have to go. You're the pastor, right? Here's the pastor who finds ministry a burden rather than a joy. Sure, there's a burden, there's a responsibility, and we talked about that last week, but there's no joy in it. He goes through the motions, but his heart is not in it. Friends, there are churches all over the place where people are supposedly serving Jesus and their heart is not in it. Here is the deacon who would prefer she were doing something less tiresome. Here is the believer who finds it a burden to attend a home group or serve others. Here is the Christian parent who finds it a burden to read the Bible to their children or to pray for them because they are too busy. Probably not the case these days. Kids are home all day. You've had so much of them and you're praying real hard, right? And when you're at church, as someone would say, when we used to gather, they're the people who are looking at their watches to see how long the service has gone for. Is he still preaching? They're fidgeting with their bulletins. And they're counting the bricks. Well, in some churches, no bricks here. They're waiting for this tedious business of church to finish so they can get home to Sunday lunch. Friends, apathy is almost too weak a word to describe the appalling lack of emotional engagement with the public worship they were performing. Hypocritical worship, verse 14. Curse is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God, I'm going to bring you a great sacrifice. God, I'm going to bring you a perfect sacrifice. And then you offer a blemished animal. Hypocrisy, cheating God, keeping up appearances, You know, if we go to the New Testament in Acts chapter 5, the beginning of the Christian church, Ananias and Sapphira participated in this hypocrisy and deceit. They'd sold a property, and they didn't have to give all the money to the church, but they pretended as if they'd given all of the money to the apostles. But they kept back some for themselves. When the apostles confronted them of this, They continued their lies, and God came in immediate judgments on both of them, and they died. You can't mock God. You can't lie to God. God knows. God sees. He's on that second floor of the school classroom looking at everything. He knows. Israel, says Malachi, their religion was hollow. It was heartless. It was hypocritical. And they lack any reverence and respect for God. You know what God says? Shut down the temple. Shut down the church. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. God is not interested in hollow religion But a heartfelt response to his love. Your worship is useless, he says. It does nothing. It doesn't impress me. I'm not pleased with you. I won't take your sacrifices. Shut the doors. Don't waste your time. Go home, he says. Yet despite all of this, God says, his name would be honored and glorified. It will be glorified among the nations. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Sister Israel, if you don't do the right thing, I'm still going to do my work. My, my glory will go to the nations. The people from every nation will come and worship me with authentic worship. And, friends, we see it through the death of Christ and his resurrection. And the gospel has spread to the nations of the earth. And I mentioned earlier that Jasmine had just flown back to Thailand. In order that I continue the work of producing videos, gospel videos, and, and, uh, and films to take the gospel to unreached peoples. We've talked about Emily looking to go back. Not staying in comfortable Australia with us, with all of our complaints, right, in lockdown, but willing still to go to another country where the conditions are far worse so she can help take the gospel to the least reached people in our world. God said his name would be great among the nations. Declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. One day the Gentiles would do that, he says. You know one of the scary things about this passage is that God, I think, will often bypass former God-honoring churches to fulfill his purposes to bring glory to his name. When churches who may have been strong and gospel-focused and uh, surrendered to God had moved away from that, and we've seen that in denominations where they've moved away from the true gospel, and they're dying. The doors are being closed all over the place. I won't even mention any denominations. Another door shut, another door shut, another door shut. When you move away from the centrality of Christ, His life, His death, and His resurrection, you don't love Him, you don't serve Him, you don't honor Him, God says, I'm ultimately going to shut it down. And we may be a strong, vibrant church here, but we need to continue this work at at Nawi Baptist Church. We need to continue to put God first. We need to continue to love Him, honor Him, to be authentic with Him in all of our lives because God may shut it down if we don't. Far bigger churches and greater churches have been shut down because they moved from surrendering to God. So what does God require of us today? I love Romans 12, 1 and 2. He wants everything. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... In view of the death of Christ, his resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit, justification by faith that Paul has talked about in Romans chapters 1 to 11. In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies, see not just simply your mind and your spirit, but all of yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's not about the animal. It's not about anything else. It's yourself now as a sacrifice to God, which is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently. Think like Jesus now. Have the mind of God. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Friends, this is a radical, complete, undivided devotion to God that God calls us to. Heart, soul, mind, body, all of us must be in it. And I love the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. Remember Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, who was an enemy of the gospel until God broke into his life and changed him? When he thinks about the gospel and he thinks of what he used to have as a, as a well-credentialed Jewish man who trusted in his works, he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. All my previous credentials and my achievements, I regard them as garbage, refuse, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ deeply, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the power that raised Christ from the dead. I want to know that type of power in my life and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Friends, two great New Testament passages, Romans 12, Philippians 3, which speak about the type of commitment God wants of us, because that's authentic worship. But in terms of failure of worship today, let me just mention three things quickly. Number one, we fail to recognize the holiness of God. We ignore the fact that God is holy and God is perfect. And we we just sin and get away with it and we just pretend with God. We don't don't fight hard against sin and the power of God. We just do our own thing. Many Christians think, well, it doesn't matter how you live, It, it will be okay in the end. Oh, this is the man who thinks it's okay to go out with another woman because he doesn't love his wife anymore. Or this is the man happy to rip off others because he thinks there will be no judgment in the end. This is the woman involved in sexual sin who doesn't believe God is powerful enough to do anything about it. Wrong. It won't be okay in the end. We will face a holy God who brings judgment. God calls us to holiness. Secondly, lukewarm worship. Our heart is not in it. Passionless, lukewarm, and half-hearted. Friends, we need to sing to the glory of God. We need to give to the glory of God. To hear God's word to bring glory to Him. We need to pray and persevere in it to the glory of God. We need to witness and evangelize to the glory of God. We do it all with excellence, not with half-heartedness, but with 100% commitments. You know, a few years ago, I was speaking at a conference uh, to, uh, to a pastor's group on developing an evangelistic church. And we talked about some of the things we've done here over the years. One person said it was challenging, informative, and professional. Others were overwhelmed. My church is too small. We can't do what you do. That's okay for you guys that nowhere. where you're a large church. And I said, yes, you can. And I told them about something we did at Asheville Baptist Church, which was a much smaller church when I was a student. And I started to train people in evangelism, Christianity Explained, one-on-one, and so on. Then I said to them, Why don't we uh, book an evangelistic event on oh, Sunday night? So we normally have 40, 50 people. Why don't we run an evangelistic event? And we put a band together and we got publicity out, put thousands of leaflets into the community. I was pr- I was pushing hard, right? Because not many people are coming with me. I'm pushing hard on all of this. And we booked Ross Clifford to speak on the evidence of the resurrection. And there's almost like. Some people got on board, others didn't. Some were praying for their friends. We said, go out and invite your friends. See if you can bring someone with you to a gospel event. And we turned up on the night. People kept streaming into the building. People were bringing their friends into the building. People who didn't even know, heard about it through some other friend. They came, a group of eight or ten people. People coming into this building. 150 people were there. And the funniest thing was, one of the couples came in late. They'd forgotten we were doing a special outreach event. And they didn't have a seat up the back, just looking in going, did we miss something? Like, has the second coming come or something? It's like, what happened? Place was packed out. You know what was happening? We believed God. We trusted God. We evangelized. We prayed. We made an effort that people would hear the gospel. I don't buy that when someone says, well, nothing can happen. Thirdly, selfish ministry. Too often we are concerned for the the honor of our name, our reputation, rather than God's name and God's reputation. Let me finish. God says to Malachi, priests, the leaders, be authentic or shut the doors to the temple and God would say to us today be authentic shut down the church don't play games with me don't pretend with me it's a tough word from Malachi to Israel it's a tough word from God to us acknowledge God's covenant love and respond with authentic worship he says otherwise God may close us down